So um, all of us have crossroad moments in our lives. We have a place where we have to make decisions, um, moments where our destination is determined differently by the choices that we make. The most important decisions that we ever make will be uh, you know, those crossroad moments. And I think that one of the things that is important for people to understand is that there is ultimately one crossroad decision that will set your entire destiny in order. And that is whether you decide whether you're going to pay the price for your sins or Jesus is. You know, the Bible says that God so loved the world, like Nicole was saying in the meeting, that he loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. He said that it is a free gift. But I always tell my kids who have been in college, assuming that everything at college is free, that everything free comes from somebody else. And it's the same way with that free gift of salvation. Someone has to pay a price for that. And Jesus offered to do that. So ultimately, there is very little that I have to say to you today that will make a whole lot of sense if you haven't determined that decision in your life. So I hope that you consider that, because that is the most important crossroad moment that you can have. You know, and then you, you, you think, oh, I made that decision. Now everything's going to be smooth sailing, right? It's not. <laughs> In fact, the Bible talks an awful lot about the fact that it's not going to be smooth sailing. And God has a lot of things to say about the fact that our life will get interrupted because he is determined to make us new. And that means there's going to have to be some reconstruction or some new construction um, of our lives. And our journey is designed to be able to do that with us. It is designed to help us determine whether we're just a fan of Jesus. We think he's cool. We think he's hip. We think he's, you know, loving. He's a cool guy. Or whether we're actually going to be a follower. And if we choose to be a follower of Jesus, uh, those interruptions will absolutely come in our lives. It may be when your kids go away to college. And you have to decide who, who you are now. Or it could be when um, you go through a divorce. Or when someone in your life dies. Or they have an illness. Or you have an illness uh, that you're not really sure how to grapple with. Or you get arrested. Or maybe all of those things. Because, you know, it's not just one all the time. You know, I think that... We all love our Instagram lives. We love, you know, everybody looks pretty on Instagram. I think everybody but me looks thinner on Instagram. They all look younger. I think there's apps for that, actually. Um, somebody was telling me, hey, if you want to look thinner and younger on Instagram, you can get this app, although it doesn't really look like you anymore. But we like our Instagram lives. We like things to be shiny and new. We like it to look perfect. Well, in 2014, I, you know, I'm married. I've been married now for almost 35 years. I have children that were, at that point in time, on the perfect trajectory. They were 
either going through high school successfully or entering college successfully, um, well-adjusted. I, I was a business, I am a business owner. Um, and at that point in time, I had one or two businesses and several employees um, spanning the nation. And I was a sought-after member in our community, a sought-after mem member for boards. Um, you know, I had just won an ethics award. I have, um, you know, I'm a, a teaching director for a large co-ed Bible study that meets in our area. And uh, two days before Christmas, uh, police officers show up at our house. Now, I was at work because if you're an entrepreneur or a business owner, you understand that uh, you have to work. <laughs> uh, and so my husband called me and he said, uh, Debbie, um, there are uh, two officers here to arrest you. And I said, arrest me? <laughs> arrest me for what? And he said, I, I don't know. But, you know, in all of Charlotte, my husband probably knows about two police officers. Well, one of those police officers that he knew had come to our house. And he said, well, let me go ask him. Because, you know, neither of us had been through that before. We had never imagined having to go through that uh, in any way, shape, or form. And so he said, uh, you know, what, uh, what are you arresting her for? And he said, well, you know, he, he didn't get into it. But he said, you know, the best thing for her is just to uh, go turn herself in at the police department. You know, because I was like, well, uh, do I, like, come home to get arrested in front of my two children? <laughs> That's awesome, you know. And um, so that moment in time when I walked into that police department set on, in my life, a trajectory that actually doesn't change for a long time. Because when you enter the criminal justice system, uh, the wheels of justice do, do not turn swiftly. Uh, for anybody on the outside, they rarely make sense in any way, shape, or form, and it doesn't work like business. You know, in business, you go, you have a conversation, you figure out how you're gonna work it out, and then you move on. That's not the way it works in the criminal justice system. So my life got interrupted. My Instagram life now had this beautiful orange clad Mugshot, <laughs> which is awesome. And they tell you not to smile. Like what, you're going to smile? I mean, come on. Yes, I'm so excited that you arrested me and now I feel like nothing. So, um, but in all of that, as we're looking at things, it's not just about my story. I think it's about how God's story interrupts our story. And so the key truth that I want you to hear from me today is that, you know, God is in charge of our detours. And at those crossroads, we need to understand that God is in charge of those detours. So if you have your Bibles today, I want you to turn to Exodus 14. And, you know, the humor is not lost on me that... We're going to be looking at Exodus, because when you have a crossroads moment, what do you want? You want an exit. 
You want to get out of jail quick. You want the problems to be gone. You want things to be solved. We just want to get out, right? So here's the setup. The Israelites have um, been in Egypt. They've been in Egypt for, it's Exodus 14, sorry. They've been in Egypt for 400 years. They're now slaves, and they've been granted an exit. They're leaving with Moses. They've been slaves. And right now, they're camped at the Red Sea. And Pharaoh decides to come after them. His labor force has just left, and he's decided that's probably a bad decision. So he decides that he's going to chase them down. And this is what it says in Exodus 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on the right hand and on the left. And then skip to verse 27. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course. And when the morning appeared, as all the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters turned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all of the hosts of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea. The waters being a wall on their right and on their left. Now, what I've just read you is the Instagram version of that story. You know, we, we like to read the good part, right? We like to read the fact that everything turns out right. Well, in my story, I actually came through it with a spotless record. You know, if, if you look at my record, there is nothing that's out there anymore. Um, and I've been cleared of all wrongdoing. The, the charges were dropped, the whole nine yards. But you know, that too is the Instagram story. It was several years that it took to go through that process. And I don't think you came here to hear the Instagram version. Right, Stephanie? You want the details, man. <laughs> um, but, you know, and, and I got to tell you, when you're going through something like that, so they arrest me. I go to the police department and turn myself in. They say, oh, yeah, we know who you are. They take you to this room, and it's kind of disgusting. I'm in a business suit, formal, and um, they take you to this table that looks like, I don't know, maybe it hasn't been washed recently, and they handcuff you uh, to the floor. You know, your feet are handcuffed, because like what you're going to get out of a room that has a door that doesn't have a lock that you can open from your side, I guess. They're expecting me in my heels, my dress with my blazer over it to fight my way out of the police department. And then they make you sit there, you know, in that room for hours. And at this point in time, I have no idea what they've arrested me for. I have no idea what the situation is going to be. 
But I'll tell you what, man, I've watched Law and Order. And they say, don't say anything. So I think that's probably going to be my plan. <laughs> and the detective comes in, and she sits down, and she has all these papers. And she says, um, you know, I want you to sign this paper. And I said, well, what is this paper? So I did say something. And she says, well, this is your rights, and you're going to release all your rights. And we're going to talk to you. And I said, well, I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. I'd like to have an attorney present. And she said, um, well, if you decide to do that, that's your right, but we're just going to take you to jail. Hmm. I didn't see that on Law and Order. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> like, you know, I've been to the Red Sea. Where is it supposed to part here? <laughs> you know, come on. Well, um, they decided to leave me in the room to think about that for several more hours. And at the end, I decided that I still was not going to talk to them without my attorney present. So she said, well, that's fine. Then we're taking you to jail. And I said, oh, okay, do I, do I follow you? <laughs> you need to uncuff me. Um, and so they take me out, and they take me down to the, um, the main lobby of the police station. And uh, the police officer comes to me, and he looks very conciliatory, because I guess I don't look like your normal criminal. And I'm not dressed like your normal criminal. Um, and, and I know that once I get to jail, because I meet some of the criminals. <laughs> and um, he says, uh, I need to take you over to the jail, which means you're going to have to ride in the police car. And I said, OK. And he said, you know, I'm going to have to handcuff you, because um, I'm going to let you ride in the front with me. If, um, if, I may, if you don't want to be handcuffed, you, you can ride in the back. But, but I don't think you want to sit back there in your suit. And I said, OK. <laughs> handcuffed me. So he handcuffs me. I still have no idea why I've been arrested. And so I get in the car. He drives me three blocks to our uh, police jail or whatever it is. And you go in. And he says, so I mean, did you do it? And I said, did I do what? And he said, well, you know, I mean, what they're charging you for. And I said, I have, no, I have no idea what they're charging me for. I've asked, and nobody has told me. And he said, well, um, maybe we can find out with you, for you while you're in jail. <laughs> awesome. Awesome, right? So I uh, go to jail. And I don't, have any of you ever been arrested? OK, so awesome. I love you, Lisa. That's why we're friends. <laughs> so I don't know what it was like for you, but when you get there, they, they're, the whole job of the penal system is to make you feel like you are absolutely nothing and that you should be ashamed of everything in every um, state. And so I get there. They unlock the doors, and they tell me there's a little um, line of a box on the floor, and they say, stand in the box. It's not really a box, but I can do that. So I stand there, and then they look at me. And because I had a dress on with a jacket, they said, uh, OK, so we're going to have to 
um, you're going to have to change your clothes. Okay. They said, do you have any piercings or uh, rings anywhere? Because all of that has to come off or out. Uh, because you can't go to jail with any metal on you. I, apparently they bend it and try to kill you. Or I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, well, I have a toe ring on that I've had on probably for five years. And I'm thinking, you know, know if I can even get that off. <laughs> and uh, he says, uh, here's your jumpsuit. Go into this room and um, take everything off, um, including your bra, because it has underwear. And uh, you can keep your underwear on. You can wear this lovely shade of orange jumpsuit as you are um, going through that system. And they take your purse and they um, hold that. And you know, so you take off all your jewelry, you take off everything, right? And then you come out and they, I said, you know, look, I have a toe ring on. I'm not sure if I can get it off. And he said, well, um, I don't, maybe you can spit on it <laughs> to get it off. And I just, looked at him like, you know, and the whole time, you know, because this takes hours, right? The whole time you're thinking, okay, God, <laughs> what is this all about? What do you have for me here? Why am I here? And, you know, one of my thoughts was, well, I'm teaching on 2 Corinthians, and Paul was unjustly <laughs> accused and I, I do have this horrible process that I go through my life whenever I have to teach anything in my Bible study. I kind of have to live parts of it because it has to be authentic and real. And it's really hard to teach somebody something when you haven't lived it yourself. And so, you know, my sacrilegious mentality says, well, there are a lot of people in the Bible that were falsely accused. Um, and then I thought, yeah, but some of them died. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to do that. Um, and then as you're sitting there, you're thinking, well, I mean, uh, you know, I do a lot of coaching. I do a lot of executive coaching and helping people find their way. And um, I'm thinking, well, what's the worst case scenario? Because isn't that what you're always taught to think about? What's the worst case scenario that can happen to you? And can you live with that? And if you can live with that, then everything this side of that is probably pretty good. So I'm thinking, well, the worst case scenario is that I'm going to jail. But, but I do have the gift of evangelism, so what do you think I could do with a captive audience? You know, what would that look like? What would that mean to my kids? Because I'm the sole support for my family. Uh, what would that mean for their college education? What would that mean for their future? What would that mean for my husband? What would that mean for our businesses? I mean, you go through all of those things and you think, okay, God, where are you now? Because he's silent. As all of these things are rushing through my head. And you know, you have, when people find out that you've been arrested, they say all kinds of wonderful things. I'm sure you probably heard some of them um, in church with you as well. Things like, oh, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. 
Uh, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You know, um, he will find a way. He will save you. I mean, even things that aren't true, people tell you. Um, and although I know all those verses, and in reality, I've said some of those verses to other people. I don't say very many of those anymore because when you have to go through it, it's different. It's like when you lose a loved, a loved one. People say the darndest things. Um, and sometimes it's incredibly hurtful uh, to hear those. Well, when I was looking for God through this process, one of the things that I had to come to the reality of is if God is sovereign, then he is in charge of everything, which means he put me there. I had been unjustly accused, but he put me there. And... So as you rationalize through that, for me, I had to think, well, if he put me there, why did he put me there? <laughs> you know, um, well, maybe he put me in this spot, this position on purpose. Maybe he put me in this position on purpose. I don't know about you, but that kind of stinks, right? It is a hard place to be. But you know, um, and, and sometimes it is spiritual warfare. Sometimes you have a spiritual battle involved with something. In fact, I remember one time when an attorney was talking to me, he said, I got to tell you, Debbie, I've been a criminal attorney for 34 years. I have never seen anything like this in my life. I have never seen anything like this in my life. And I remember when he said that to me, I said, you know, Ed, usually when crazy comes out of the woodwork, I always have to back up and say, hmm, what is that? Because it's usually a distraction that keeps me from focusing on what God really wants me to focus on or hearing what God really wants to do in my life. You know, um, but he is sovereign, and he does put us there. Now, I'll tell you, before I had this situation, I always thought um, of Job. You know Job, the guy in the Bible who lost it all? He lost all of his kids, all of his fortune, and everything, right? And I remembered reading that story many, many times in my life and thinking... Yeah, but God didn't, like, do all those horrible things to Job. Satan did, right? But, but God pointed him out, and God allowed him to do it. And, you know, we jump to the Instagram version of that story, too. Oh, he got it all back. <sighs> Bully for him. You know, I don't know if any of you have ever lost a child, um, my mom's lost a couple of them. Uh, it's not easy. And you don't ever forget. And you don't ever 
stop missing them. I don't care how many other children you have. That's always part of your story. It's always part of your loss. It doesn't mean that God can't redeem it. It doesn't mean that he can't do amazing things. In fact, God put me in this position on purpose, just like he put the Israelites in that position on purpose. In fact, if you flip back to Exodus 13, verse 17, it says, um, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although it, it was near. God didn't lead them on the main road, even though it was the shortest distance to Canaan. He led them in a roundabout way. You know, they had to make a break from, from Egypt. And can you imagine them? Hey, we're free. Let's get there as quickly as possible. You promised us that this land was going to be there, and it, let's just go the fastest way. Can you imagine being Moses trying to lead? A bunch, I mean, basically he's trying to herd cats, right, in the desert. Um, they don't have any more provisions than three days can provide them because you just can't carry that much. And you're in the desert wandering around, and he says, camp by the Red Sea. I like that's not even left. If, if, if God had taken them left, which was the fastest way to Canaan, the land of promise, they would have been staring straight in to the Philistine country. And, you know, when you think about that, you think, well, there was a lot of them. Maybe that would have been okay. But you know what? If God would have led them that way, then they would have had an enemy in front of them. And they would have had an enemy behind them. Well, God could have led them straight. That's the, that's the, um, the way of least obstacle. You know, that would have been the easiest way to go, to just go straight. Um, but God didn't lead them that way either. You know, if he would have led them that way, um, the enemy that was chasing them wouldn't have had any obstacles either. And it probably wouldn't have ended well. God took them the only way possible where he could bring them through it, where they would have no enemies chasing them into the next phase of their life. And oftentimes, when we go through trying times, he wants us to be able to go through it not having an enemy to chase us into the next phase of our lives. You know, sometimes we have shame. Sometimes we have disappointment. Sometimes we have fear. Sometimes those things chase us from one period of our lives into another. But that isn't by God's design. You know, sometimes in our lives, we struggle with making sense of things and saying, look, I, you know, I wanted to go the straightest way. I mean, why would God do this? Why would he allow this? Why would he design this? Because you know what? It stinks and it hurts and I don't like it. I don't want to go to chemo again. You know, I don't want to have to do all those different things. I didn't want to sit in that jail cell. You know, it was, it was interesting when I went in 
of course, everything there is control and, um, and hard, right? So you get, I don't know how every other jail is, but I can tell you about the one that I was in. They have different colored seating. And if you are a boy, you sit on the blue seats. And if you're a girl, you sit on the red seats. And you kind of funnel through this process while they're breaking down your life. So they take your purse. They have to categorize everything that you have in your purse. Well, uh, I have expensive jewelry. And I had like, I don't know, 2300 bucks in my purse because we were getting ready to hand out $100 bonuses to the people in our organization the day before they were going home for Christmas so that they could, you know, have something special, they could do something special with their family. It's kind of just one of the treats that we've always had in our organization. So when the police officer takes my purse, he says, so there's nothing in here of value. And I go, well, um, <laughs> there might be a little bit of money in there. And he goes, well, I mean, how much do you have? And I said, well, a couple thousand bucks. And he said, really? You have like, what, over $1,000? And they say it loud, and I'm thinking, you, you, do, you do know all these people are criminals, right? Like, I'm going to get mugged as soon as I get out of here. How great is that going to be, right? And so they say, well, we're, we're going to have to count it all out, and we're going to have to, um, you know, like, do an inventory, and we're going to have to take it someplace extra. So right in front of all the other people who are getting incarcerated, the... I mean, like I met people who were um, drug addicts that were on drugs while they were with me. Um, there were people who were vagrants. There were people who had stolen things. There were people who had um, brutalized other people. There was one guy that was in there with me um, in this open center area that they had pulled in who um, was there accused of murder because they found his grandparents in the freezer. So, you know, the not great people. Um, and I got to tell you, nobody looked like me. Not that that makes any difference, because there are plenty of people, you know, Community Bible Study has a um, in-prison ministry. Pe people look just like you. They're not any different than you are. It, you don't deserve anything different than what they get either. Uh, just some of us have a different... Um, trajectory that God has taken us on in our lives. Well, um, so God put me there in that place. He allowed me to realize that, you know what, I'm not much of anything in the whole scheme of things uh, without him. Uh, and I was there for many hours. I, I bet you I was there, I don't know, Katie, how long was I there? It was ours, and after, at the very end, they determined, uh, you know, they say, well, you have to go up and you have to talk to the magistrate, and they're going to tell you what you can get out on with bail. And so I go up to the window, and she said, uh, well, what do you, are you pleading guilty? And I said, I, I don't even know what they charged me with yet. Um, and she said, well, it's, and I think the actual term was conspiracy to um, conspiracy to. I, I'm not a legal person, 
So I've kind of wiped it from my mind, but it was the short story was they were accusing me of um, being with somebody else to steal, conspire to take property or money from somebody else. So it was a felony charge. Um, the amount of money that they said that we together had taken was over $100,000. So they, I, I understand that that is a class C felony, which is a big deal in North Carolina. It means you can get four to 10 years. Wow, that's quite an interruption. <laughs> that is something new. You know, sometimes, like me or like the Israelites, we don't realize that God has given us that position on purpose and we want to get out of it. I have a friend of mine who determined that she wanted a new job. And she said, Well, I, you know, I'm going to apply, highly marketable. I want to get out of my job. And God said, No. Like she couldn't find anything. So she stayed where she was planted, and about 14 of her coworkers came to know the Lord. Well, then she didn't want to leave, and then she got fired because she talked about Jesus in her workplace, which, incidentally, is illegal. Uh, and so she was out on the street. You know, really, God? Come on, how does all that work out? Well, sometimes our position is on purpose, and maybe God wants us to be somewhere, not just because of what he wants to teach us, but also what he wants to teach others. You know, sometimes you're in a bad spot, and it doesn't have anything to do with you. It has to do with who's watching you. And I had a lot of people watching me, because as soon as I got out of that actual jail, then, you, then you've got to go through the whole penal system. You have to go to hearing after hearing after hearing. I mean, two years, folks. Two years, over $250,000. A lot of money. Just in criminal attorney fees and investigation. Because, you know, you have to investigate everything in your own life to prove that you're innocent of what they're accusing you of. And just so you know, fun fact here, used to be that when you were accused of a crime, they had to put that position before a DA. And then the district attorney would look at the evidence in that case, and they would say, OK, I think we have a case, or I don't think we have a case. And if they didn't think there was enough, you know, you've watched Law & Order, right? I mean, every week on Law & Order, that's what they do, right? The DA says, oh, or you know, all the police cop movies, right? Oh, you don't have enough evidence. We can't, you know, we can't swear at the warrant or whatever it is. Well, that's not the way it is anymore in the United States. Now in the United States, if I feel like I want to accuse you of sexual immorality against me, all I have to do is go down to the police department and say, you know, I was at a party with this man and uh, he tried to attack me. And if I'm convincing enough in that process, they're going to come and haul you away. And then you're stuck in that criminal justice system trying to find your way out. And hopefully somebody saw. 
that you were at that party and we never left on our own. Because otherwise, it's his word against mine. And that's the way that it works. And that's what had happened with us. Um, the, you know, when you kind of dig into it and you try to figure out how, where did this come from, how did this come from, you know, I had an ex-employee who I still did some work with, and she got sideways with the security department in her very large company. And they got a hold of our business emails, and they didn't even take whole emails. They just took lines and pieced them together and <laughs> put together the evidence enough to convince a police officer to come and arrest us. So, um, but regardless of that, you know, God still had me there for a purpose. Once I was accused, I, um, my first thought was, you know, I sit on all these boards. I have these businesses. Heck, I have to, I have to teach Bible study next week to 150 people. Like, I think I should probably let some people know. Because if I don't, they're going to find out anyway at some point. You know, like I'm kind of public. That mugshot is super orange. Um, and if you Google my name, like stuff comes up, right? That's one of the first things that comes up when you've been arrested. And so I thought, well, I need to tell them. Well, my criminal attorney said, don't tell anyone. You know, your business owner, it will have financial implications on your companies. You do not want this to derail your life. Well, I thought about it and I prayed about it and I thought, you know, I don't think I can do that because these are very serious charges and if I'm representing somebody else, I need to give them an out. You know, if they want my resignation on a board, I need to be able to offer them that so that they can get out from behind this firestorm that I have gotten caught into. And so I called. I started to call every one of the heads of the boards, the executive directors, and I said, look, I, you know, I just want you to know I'm the president of this board. You might want to, you know, I'm happy to offer my resignation. Maybe, um, you know, don't feel bad about it, but this is what's going on. And every single one of the boards that I was a part of said, um, but we, we don't really care. We still want you on the board. Um, we don't want you to leave. So then I talked to the head of um, community Bible study, and I said, hey, I have a leadership team of 20 people. I think I need to tell them on Thursday before we meet, and then I think we need to tell the class. Well, the, the head of the leadership was like, well, we're not really sure that we want you to do that. And I said, well, I, I can just give you my resignation. You know, Eric can teach. He'll be fine. And he, you know, they, so they went back and they prayed about it. And then they came back and they said, you know, if you really feel like God wants you to tell those people, then you tell those people. And so I spent our leadership meeting. After our leadership meeting, I explained to the leaders what was going on and let them know. And then went forward to the Bible study and let them know as well. You know, the funny thing about it is 
uh, our Bible study is large and it meets in our church. I have several of the church board members that are on our leadership team, so they know. Uh, when, when you're in community Bible study, you have to meet with the pastor once a year and kind of give them a heads up about what's going on since you're using their facility and they're the host, so you want to say thank you, right? When I met with our pastor, he said, so what's been going on this year? And I said, well, I'm sure you've heard about the arrest. <laughs> you know, like hasn't everybody? I thought it was national news. And he said, uh, what, are you, what are you talking about? And I said, what are you kidding me, Jim? Like... I mean, like, I have a, bu a bunch of your board members are on, like, they're in Bible study with me, or they're on the boards that I serve on, or, like, how could you not hear? And he said, well, apparently they didn't think it was much to talk about. I thought, wow, how incredible is that? That God would just, you know, it never made the news. Of course, I think when you get arrested on December 23rd, it's not a big news cycle time period, but still, what an incredible protection from God that that was not part of my story. You know, Ephesians 2.10 says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You know, have you ever seen one of those artists that does... Um, the artwork to music, like in front of a, a team. And then, you know, you don't really realize what they're painting. You think they're painting one thing, and then they flip it around, and it's this amazing masterpiece. You know, and sometimes when that, when that master is working on that art, they kind of get focused on one particular area, right? They're doing something in that particular area. And then when they flip that painting around, you're like, wow. That was the focal point of the entire piece of artwork. Well, I think that's what God does sometimes. Sometimes we get stuck with him in a certain area, and he's working on that area. And sometimes that takes a long time <laughs> to really get to know him well in that process, to really see what he's painting, what he's creating in our lives. And then because we don't really see what his perspective is, we only see what our perspective is, when he flips it around and we put a little time and distance with it, we look at it and say, wow, he really did some cool things there. He was helping to create a masterpiece because he wanted to make something new. Our position is on purpose. Well... Not only is our position on purpose, it is also um, part of the process. You know, when, I mean, I don't know about you, I'm not much of a green thumb and I'm not much of a nurturer, which is probably why I'm a business owner. My husband stayed home with our kids. Not that he's super nurturing, I can say this, I don't think he's going to listen to this, but He's a great man and he raised beautiful children for us. Um, my mother, on the other hand, is a great green thumb. But I love tomatoes. Does anybody grow any tomatoes? Well, there's something 
I don't know. Maybe I did get a little bit of you in me somewhere about the process of growing things. You know, there are a lot of kids that grow up that have no idea where tomatoes come from. That's our Instagram society, right? But when you actually plant something, you have to put the seed in the ground, and then you get the tomatoes, right? No. That's the Instagram version. What happens is you put the seed in the ground, and then it takes time. And then eventually, you get tomatoes, right? Well, I don't know about you, but I'm not a very patient person. And so when you put the seed in the ground, and then you wait, and 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 you wait some more. It's kind of like what the criminal justice system is like. You wait and wait and wait. But there's something amazing happening to that seed that's in that ground. That seed in that ground, you know, God is doing something with that seed in the ground. And what is, it, what is he doing? That seed is putting down roots. It's filling out some things. It's growing in different ways. And then eventually, what, this tree pops up and there's fruit, right? No. Pretty soon there's this little tiny green thing that pops out of the ground and you can barely see it. And then it continues to grow and continues to grow and it puts out branches and it puts out little flowers and eventually fruit is born in it. You know, when we go through a process, if we go through our lives with an Instagram process, we never learn what God designed for us to learn in that purposed position that he put us in. He wants us to put down roots, and that takes time. It takes a lot of time. And then, you know, that little sprig comes up. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I've walked right over that sprig because it just wasn't big enough. You know, and I missed it. I missed the whole point because it didn't look big enough for me. Mm. You know, and then they put you, you get the branches and they come out and eventually you get fruit. Um, but in our neck of the woods, if you don't watch that bush, the deer come along and they eat them all. <laughs> the very frustrating. Um, but you still have to learn things through that process. And, you know, the Israelites needed to do that as well when they were going through that land. They had, you know, God put them camping out at the Red Sea. They weren't there just for a minute. They were camping there. He wanted them to learn some things. He had put them in that position so they could learn some things. And you know what? They were in a position that uh, wasn't comfortable. And when those um, Egyptians started to come after them, they knew they were trapped. And sometimes when we're in that position that's determined by God, we feel stuck and nothing's moving. And we can't see 
how to get out of it. Um, we want to be rescued. We pray to be rescued. We pray that everything, every time we have a hearing, will be dropped. I bet it doesn't. <laughs> and then there's another bill. And then there's another process. And then there's another hearing. You know, sometimes we feel stuck, but God wants us to learn some things through that process. He wants to learn that sometimes it just takes time. Sometimes it takes time for us to know who he is. Well, I don't know about you, but um, I find that God's timing is super annoying. Is anybody else here annoyed by God? Because I am. And I think that if you really know him, you find him annoying. You find him annoying because his timing is not your timing. And he didn't bother to check with you before he stuck you in that position. And he is annoying because he doesn't think that when I want to tap out, it's time for this to be done. I found out that, you know, God is annoying because he doesn't care one bit about money. He doesn't even care about money when you're the good Christian who says, but it's your money, God. If you want it to go to all the attorneys, that's your business. But you've got to live it because that's what you have to do when you stroke those checks. This is never about the money. God is in it with you because he wants you to be made new. He wants you to know who he is. He wants you to trust him no matter what happens in your life, regardless of that. He wants your anger that would normally erupt, you know, in the Christian world, when you're going through struggles, you're supposed to put on that soldier face. You're not supposed to be angry. You know? You're supposed to be loving. You're supposed to be forgiving. Well, I'm telling you that you have to learn some of that. That, um, you know, you are angry. How do you forgive? Someone who seems completely malicious, mal completely depend, dependent on your total destruction. You know, how do you forgive them? You know, God's annoying because he says forgiveness is a choice. <laughs> God's annoying because he is okay if you're angry. He's okay if you're angry with him. And when you go through things like that, you, well, I mean, I don't know about you, but I was angry. It may not have erupted all over the page, but it simmers underneath. And then you try to wrap it in that Christian wrapping, right? <laughs> but he teaches you that he is trustworthy, that he did put you there on purpose, that he wants you to learn something through the process. And then, you know, the last thing he teaches you is that your position is not permanent. 
There is light on the other side of the tunnel. The other side of the tunnel might not look exactly the way you imagined, the way you planned. <laughs> um, you know, those Israelites, when they were getting ready to cross the Red Sea, you know, it got dark. If you look at the passage, it was dark. And then the wind started to blow. And they had no idea what was going on in that dark, dark place. But what he was doing is he was blowing that sea open. And he was drying out that ground so that they could walk through it on dry ground. They didn't have to get their cart stuck in the mud. They didn't have to drag the mud from one part of their life into another part of their life. He let them walk through the Red Sea on dry ground. When it got light, they could go through because of that fiery pillar, and they could go through that Red Sea. Their position wasn't permanent. You know, I love the verse. It's in, um, oh, let me just look ahead. It's in Isaiah 28.6. And then it's re-referenced also in 1 Peter 2.6 and Romans 10.11. It says, um, he who believes in him who and I, I always look things up in the Amplified Bible because I'm a third grader and I like to know what those words mean when they're expanded out. It says, um, and he who believes in him, which means whoever adheres to, whoever trusts in, whoever relies on him, will never be disappointed in his expectations. You know, when I was going through this process, that verse stuck in the back of my behind, and I was not happy with it. Because I'm like, look, <laughs> Jesus, I am disappointed in this. I'm disappointed in these things that you're doing. I understand the process. I understand that people are watching me. I understand that at some point you'll redeem this. I'm not really sure what the masterpiece is going to look like. I don't like the little sprig that's growing out. I want fruit. I want to see something different from you, God, in a way that is amazing. That's redemptive. Like, I want all those verses. I want all those promises in my life. And here you have this verse that keeps popping up that says, I'm not going to be disappointed. Well, let me just tell you, I'm disappointed. I may as well just say it out loud because you see what's in my heart already. And I'm disappointed. Well, we had a foreign student who lived with us, and I was ranting with him on the phone one day um, because he likes to talk, and he likes to listen, and he likes to get in my head, and I like to get in his head. And he said, well, Mrs. Debbie, <laughs> maybe he's just not done with you yet. <laughs> well, let me tell you, people, if you're disappointed with the Lord, if he hasn't shown up for you the way that you want him to show up, if he um, hasn't done everything that you wanted him to do in your life, if your life doesn't look that Instagram perfect, if you feel disappointment, anger, 
discouragement, if you're troubled in any way, I want you to remember that God doesn't ever use depression or disappointment or despair to work with his children. Uh, Somebody else uses that, but it's not God because it's not who he is. And that's not how he motivates us. And if you're disappointed, you kind of have to crawl up in his lap and say, look, (laughs) I must be missing it. But you promise to be everything that I need. You promise to teach me everything I need to know. You promise to give me everything that I need for life and godliness. And I don't feel very godly right now (laughs) because I'm completely disappointed in you. And he'll gather you up. And he'll say, well, maybe I'm still making something new. And I'm not done with you yet. And even if you're one of those people who were to lose your life right then, If you're his, he has forever to make it up to you. And let me tell you, he who believes in the Lord will not be disappointed because he will come through. He designed the detour. He gave us that position on purpose. We need to realize what he wants to teach us and what he wants to teach the people around us. He wants us to learn something with the process, even if it's long and hard and troubled. And it is not for forever. But he has a place for us that will never disappoint and will always be available to those who call him Lord and are followers, not fans. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you that you, um, I thank you that you give us detours, even when we don't like you for it. (sighs) Holy Spirit, you promised to teach us what we needed to know. Please give us hope until we have a chance to see the amazing portrait that you as the master of our life are painting. Help us to see who you are and who you say we are. And Father, I just thank you that you guide us and you lead us and you give us hope in the midst of those crossroad moments when life gets interrupted. We thank you that uh, we can trust you with every interruption you give us because you love us and you're good and you want good for us. In the strong name of Jesus, amen. Okay. Have a great afternoon. Yes, you do get to hear the end of the story tomorrow. I promised some people who aren't here today that I would hold out some of the details. 
Tomorrow will be about how to move forward through those crossroad moments and how to know.